Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We have survived the winter storm destiny. Barely. They called it all the uh, snow that's been piled on the state of Wisconsin. But we are here in the Lambeau Field Studios to continue our discussion that we started on our last show with regards to Matt LaFleur's coaching staff. We ran through the offensive coaches last time. We'll do defense and special teams this time. And the way it shakes down, Wes, again, on the defensive side of the ball, a mixture of some holdovers and some new faces. So quickly, the rundown is sticking around Jerry Montgomery on the defensive line, Jason Simmons with the defensive backs, and Ryan Downard, who was a quality control coach on the defensive side last year, is the assistant defensive backs coach to Simmons. Then the new faces... Kirk Olavadotti at inside linebacker, Mike Smith with the outside linebackers, the Packers and Lafleur deciding to split those jobs position-wise into uh, two different coaching positions, and then two defensive quality control coaches in Wendell Davis and Christian Parker. So you decide where you want to start here with uh, that defensive rundown, Wes. What intrigues you the most? I, I think the the first first and foremost, uh, in the last episode, I talked about Ben Sermons. Getting him back I thought was a major plus. I think being able to get Jerry Montgomery back with that defensive line group seemed like a no-brainer to me. Mike Pettin certainly had an idea of what he thought of his staff and what adjustments he wanted to make. And I think when you look at the season that they had with their defensive line, you can talk until the cows come home about Kenny Clark and, sure. and all of it would be worthy. But the fact that he was able to get you know Tyler Lancaster playing the way he did it late in the season, I thought Dean Lowry made one of the biggest jumps on the entire roster, uh, showing that he's more than just a five-tech defensive end. He can play three-tech nose. I agree There's with you. There's different ways that you can utilize him. I think he's going to be a weapon in Green Bay for years to come. So I, I, I tip my cap to the job he did there. Certainly Jason Simmons has been around for a number of years, got an opportunity last year to be with the secondary. Now he gets to run that room. But, but let's get down to the meat and potatoes here. I, I think the one thing the Packers really, I don't want to say struggled with, but, but one of the things that was sort of inconsistent was the outside linebackers was the pressure. Now, they did end up setting some records in terms of sacks, but I think looking for the overall more consistent push. You look at Mike Smith, his history with Mike Pettin coming in, taking over that room now in Green Bay, had a phenomenal year last year. D. Ford having a breakthrough season in Kansas City. Now he gets to try his hand with Kyler Fackrell and, and whatever this – room is going to look like there in 2019. Yeah, and that was uh, it was kind of funny, I have to admit. When I first saw the announcement that Mike Smith was joining the Packers coaching staff, my mind immediately went to the former Atlanta head coach, yeah. Tampa Bay defensive coordinator, like, holy cow. He's not retiring. D different, yeah. different Mike Smith in this case. But you mentioned it. Last year with Kansas City, D. Ford having a career season with the pressure off the edge there. I know Ford ended up having that extremely unfortunate offsides, lining up offsides penalty that wiped out what really was the play that was going to send the Kansas City Chiefs to the Super Bowl. But then, as I mentioned, splitting the jobs, the outside linebacker and inside linebacker again here, Kirk Olavadotti, a long-time Washington Redskins long assistant coach. Actually, two different stints yep. in Washington, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. He was at the University of Georgia in between there. But uh, um, but had crossed paths with Matt Lafleur when Lafleur was on um, was working with Kyle Shanahan yep. and Mike Shanahan in Washington. So certainly some connections there. The other thing I thought was interesting about Olavadotti when I was looking at his bio, he was a wide receiver at Purdue from '93 to '96, which I think 
I'd have to go back and look for sure, but I think that's right before Drew Brees got to right. Purdue. So his timing was maybe just a little off, or he could have had uh, a greater NFL career as a player, but he certainly made a name for himself as an assistant yeah, coach in this four, league. Yeah, four years older than Drew Brees, unfortunately, <laughs> wasn't able to cross paths with him. But uh, here's the other thing I really like, too. I, I go back, and, and I have a shorter time frame to work off of than you do when you look at the structure. But I felt like some of the better years the Packers had with Dom Capers' defense was when they had a tried-and-true outside linebackers coach in Kevin Green, and they had Winston Moss handling their inside backers. I see a lot of that with this current setup with Mike Smith and Olivadotti. And and the other thing is, too, is that both of these guys have been pretty accomplished in their careers. I mean, you look at some of the success that the Washington had in the 2000s. And more recently, I mean, Mike Smith, what an interesting journey he's been on. To be a, a player, was his position coach was Petten. He ends up retiring because of injuries in 08, gets a coaching internship with the Jets when Rex Ryan and Petten were there, ends up being his outside linebackers coach a year later. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah. And then certainly to, to move around, went to his alma mater at Texas Tech, found his way to Kansas City, and now reunited here. And then from uh, Olivadotti's circumstances, has been in Washington. It's his only NFL job for 16 years. We were talking about James Campen and the remarkable run that he was on in Green Bay. Yeah. And, and Kirk had a very similar run uh, with Washington for you know almost two decades. Well, it'll be interesting to see with Olivadotti and what group he's going to be working with here in Green Bay, because we all know about Blake Martinez yeah. and the progress that he's made over the past couple of years. Oren Burks, third-round draft pick last year, didn't have the rookie season that he was hoping for. That shoulder injury in the preseason kind of just knocked his whole progress off kilter in some respects, you might say. And Burks ended up playing a lot more on special teams, not as much on defense as the season went along. But that injury led to Antonio Morrison right. uh, coming over from the Indianapolis Colts. He certainly made an impression as one of those hard-hitter, run-stopping type of inside linebackers. And, and then... Um, We'll see, obviously, what happens with Jake Ryan. He's coming back from the ACL, but he's also on an expiring contract with his rookie deal from being a 2015 draft pick now expiring. So uh, some potentially some some moving and shaking, some shifting around there as far as what the Packers are going to do at inside linebacker, as well as that outside linebacker with Fackrell coming off of a, a career season with the double-digit sacks. But a lot of questions as to, okay, what's going to happen with Clay Matthews now and, and Nick Perry and, and all of the... Uh, the uncertainty that goes into you know how this linebacking core is going to shape up in 2019. You sandwiched a gem right in the middle there, and I think it's the biggest point to make here. I think about you know Ben Sermons uh, when he came in, and he, he had Eddie Lacy and James Starks that first year, but let's be real. It was really when they drafted Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. It's like, okay, this is your assignment. Yeah. Get the most out of these here players. Yeah. I look at Olivadotti. Getting Oren Burks, is that's his big assignment right now. Yes, you want to maximize what you have in, in Blake Martinez. You want to see, depending on how all this other stuff shakes out with Morrison and, and Ryan. But Burks was a big investment. That was a third-round draft pick. Yeah, that's, still, a t- that's a top 100 pick in the yeah, draft. Yep. He's still relatively new to the position, uh, considering that he played half of his career as a defensive back, as a hybrid safety. So he's learning the ins and outs of being an every-down inside linebacker in this league. I, I really wonder, Michael, and again, we'll have you never know. Everything's hypothetical, but they had those warm-ups in Oakland. Burks hurts his shoulder. He ends up missing a month. And we've seen so many times how that can set guys back and just not being allowing them. I, I think of Mike Daniels in 2012. I mean, Mike Daniels finished the year strong, but he was a scratch earlier in the season when he was coming back off the labrum surgery. So right. 
for for Olivadotti here, and we'll we'll hopefully get a chance to talk to him soon and get what his thoughts are on on Burks. I just look at that as that is his primary assignment right now, getting the most out of that draft pick and getting him to be a contributor in this defense. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I had an interesting conversation with Burks back in right. January, the final open locker room. We got a chance to talk to the players before they all dispersed for their off season, and and uh, got a chance to talk to Burks one on one. And and hey, he. He wasn't. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He knows his rookie season didn't go the way he wanted it to. The injury certainly was a factor, but he also felt that when he got his opportunities, he should have been able to do more with them. And he flat out said to me, or I should say I asked him a very direct question, do you feel like you need to come in your second season and prove why the Packers made the draft investment they did in you. He said, absolutely. That That is the motivating force right. for him right now. He knows the investment the Packers made in him, and he's out to prove that he was worth it. Now, the other thing I will say, and it was interesting, because I, I don't like to draw comparisons with players very often, but in this case, I, I will just say this. In talking to Burks, the biggest thing that he felt was that when he was out there on defense, that he was still in that thinking too much stage and yeah. not just reacting and playing. Well, it's a lot of what we heard from Blake Martinez right, after exactly. his rookie year as well. And Blake Martinez went to Stanford. Oren Burks went to Vanderbilt. These are these are smart guys yeah. who they can process a lot mentally, but sometimes that can be to your detriment in this in the sense of really getting up to the speed of the NFL game when you come from the college level. So as disappointing as Burke as disappointed as Burks was in his rookie season, I don't think anybody should give up on him by any means. I think uh, he's one of those year two players to watch with the Green Bay Packers. Here's what we sometimes forget with having Blake Martinez having two back-to-back 144 tackle seasons. We went into that opener in 2017 not knowing he was going to be a three-down linebacker. Right. The, during Throughout training camp, throughout the preseason, it looked like Joe Thomas was going to be the third-down linebacker, and it looked like Blake Martinez might be in there with Jake Ryan on first and second down. Lo and behold, he ends up staying in on third downs, and then he's off to the races and running. At one more point I want to make about Burks, too, that I think is important to make is that when you have a season like he had, it's sometimes we get so caught up in guys just jumping in right away and, and having that Jair Alexander-type season. There is a significant learning curve, regardless of what your, your intellectual aptitude is. You have to be able to catch up to the speed of the game. That's the, the challenge that Burks is, Burks is tackling right now. And the other thing that probably didn't help him, too, is with Blake Martinez being sort of entrenched in that three-down role, yeah. Burks's skill set probably lends itself more to being a coverage linebacker in terms of his base. I'm not saying he can't play first and second down. Sure. But yeah, it makes sense that you're going to have more of that that road grading type inside linebacker in on first and second down, like Morrison, who's going to get after the ball carrier. That's where Burks needs to make that jump and showing that he can be a well-rounded athlete. Yeah. One one other thing I want to run past you on defense before we uh, shift gears to special teams. Two defensive quality control coaches, Wendell Davis and Christian Parker. We haven't heard from Matt LaFleur about his decision-making process or how all this came together. Do you have any kind of any idea? I've never seen in, in my 13 years here with the Packers, I've never seen two quality control coaches on the same side of the ball. I'm just curious if you have any any insight into the rationale or the reasoning perhaps behind that. I can only read the, the tea leaves here. Okay. Uh, I, I did find it interesting that both of these gentlemen, Wendell Davis and Christian Parker, both younger guys – 
They both come from an analytics background, so I wonder how much that could potentially be incorporated into okay. this, in addition to having experience as defensive coaches. And these these are SEC guys through and through, by yeah. the way. Wendell Davis played linebacker at Arkansas, was a graduate assistant at a, on a very successful University of Georgia team, and then Parker coming from Texas A&M. Yeah, exactly, and then also got uh, you know some experience there at some other spots and, and being able to round themselves out. The thing that, that really jumps off the page to me here is that last year Ryan Downer was a quality control, but they also had Scott McCurley as a defensive assistant. That's so right. in the the thought in, in just the definition of it, yes, it is a little unique, but you always typically have those guys that can be sort of, you know, pivot and help out different groups. I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how both of these young guys develop because as we've seen, if Matt LaFleur follows sort of the prototype that's been here in Green Bay and you never know. Um, you know, Luke Getze was a quality control coach. Right. I mean, you, you had uh, uh, Jerry Fontenot a number of years was quality control. I, I want to say that even Ben McAdoo was at one point. I mean, they, they worked their way up the ladder. This is the internship to get your foot in the door. Take advantage of it. Yeah. All righty. Well, before we uh, move on to the special teams, Wes, the powerful noise-canceling technology that helps NFL coaches block out 80,000 screaming fans can get you closer to the music you love. Learn more at www.bose.com slash Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers, and at Homer here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, special teams, Wes. Sean Meninga, new special teams coordinator, coming to the Packers from Vanderbilt, but also was a longtime assistant special teams coach for the Cleveland Browns, and that's where he uh, worked under Mike Pettin right. when Pettin was the head coach. There's there. always a connection. Yeah. Maurice Drayton um, sticking around as an assistant special teams coach. And then an addition that uh, I don't believe the Packers ever had in the McCarthy era, and that's a quality control coach specifically for special teams, and that's Raina Stewart, who is coming with Meninga from Vanderbilt. Worked uh, worked for him in a similar capacity there. Stewart actually um, does have some NFL experience uh, coaching with the Tennessee Titans, and then was a, uh, a five-year defensive back, was a fifth-round pick yeah. back in 1996, had a five-year career as a DB in the NFL. So... Um, with Meninga, I'll tell you this, for those, I don't have the time or the space to uh, go through it all. You want to look at a tr the true nomad coaching life, <laughs> uh, constantly being in transition and moving around and really moving up the ladder. Sean Meninga, this is a guy who coached at a community college. He coached at a Baptist college. The list of places that he has coached at, and now here he is working his way all the way up to being the special teams coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. We don't need to go over chapter and verse as to what the Packers need to fix on special teams. It was a rough year in 2018 all around in that respect. But uh, um, this, is, this is one of the coaches who is going to be watched very closely because of the Packers' struggles in that area last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they need to make a big, significant step forward in that area, and, and certainly the, the Rick Gosson ratings were what they were. But yeah. the thing I really like about Meninga here, there's also a, a tie-in with Stewart. Stewart was his special teams quality control coach at Vanderbilt uh, the last, I think, last season and also had some uh, other exploits that he had with Vanderbilt. So there's even a connection there in terms of why you know this gentleman's getting the opportunity with the special teams quality control. The, the Packers actually have done over the past, they've had three coaches in that room. If you remember the year that Mike McCarthy stepped away from play calling, he actually considered himself the third guy in that room that That's season. True. Yep. Um, you know, Joe Witt 
assisted with with punt returns. Jason Simmons, even when he went over to secondary, still did some stuff. So it's not completely out of the box to have three coaches. But I think what's important is you have three guys that are all dedicated towards it. Yeah, I think that shows that Matt Lafleur has a has a they're taking this seriously. They want to be able to improve in that area. It's also going to be interesting to see the moves they make here and, and how they they structure this thing. We can only go off of just the little bit that we know about Meninga, uh, Danny Vitale, the fullback that uh, the Packers brought up to the active roster at the end of last season, spoke very highly of him on Twitter from their time together with the Cleveland Browns. Um, certainly Mike Pettin, I'm guessing, also put in a good word there with with their past experience. So special teams coaches are never ones that you're going to have like ample amount of headlines to go back and read. <laughs> sure. But it does seem like this is a guy that's worked his way up the ladder and really seems to be uh, well positioned for this opportunity. Yeah, and this is his first time at the coordinator Correct. level at the NFL, but make no mistake, as I mentioned with all of his coaching stops along the way, this is a guy who's been a head coach. He's been a defensive coordinator, I believe. I, I Don't quote me on that. I'd have to check. But he is he has been a position coach, a coordinator, a head coach at some level, somewhere along his career. He's pretty much held just about any job you could hold on a football coaching staff at the college, or at, at least the college or the NFL level. So an extremely experienced coach who worked, uh, you were just calling him up, worked for Chris Tabor, right. who was that the was special a, teams yes. coordinator for a number of years in Cleveland, and Meninga was his assistant. And, and Tabor uh, really uh, accomplished and, and well thought of in those circles. So to be able to you know work off of him a little bit. The other thing I like, too, and this is nothing against Ron Zook, uh, certainly had ample experience, too, but I, I think there is something to be said for guys that, that have kind of climbed the ladder that they have and had chances to work in different special teams units. It doesn't have to be special teams, but any type of unit yeah. before stepping into that job. Uh, you, you look at the the litany of people that he's worked with and the different stops he's had you gain knowledge you gain an appreciation and I also like the fact that he's coming from the college ranks fresh out of the college ranks considering the way the Packers typically historically traditionally have built their special teams you have to be able to get the most and be able to reach those first and second year players now maybe they add that Jared Bush type veteran a stalwart that can help galvanize that unit unit I think it'd be beneficial for them but at the same time you have 11 guys, and those 11 guys on special teams typically aren't Devontae Adams. So you have to be able to communicate with them and you know go with the flow and the punches. That was one area I think the Packers just came up short this past year. They had injuries. They had to move positions around, and they just weren't able to keep that special teams up to the level it needed to be at. The other thing you hope for, for the Packers' sake as well, maybe to get a little bit more consistency with their return units. They had to cycle in a lot of guys, particularly yeah. on punt returns. If you get Trevor Davis healthy or you you find another candidate for that position, I feel you go back year after year, that's when the Packers have been at their strongest. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think we'll see how it shakes out in terms of maybe finding a consistent returner, somebody that you can rely on, somebody that the whole return unit, both punt and kickoff, can uh, can rely on and count on, and they know they know who's back there. They know how he likes to do things and all of that. So I think that will be a factor. But to piggyback off of your comment earlier about Oren Burks and sort of him being a key assignment on the defensive side in terms of trying to raise his game, I look at J.K. Scott, the fifth-round yeah, punter out right. of Alabama, sort of the same way. He didn't have a bad rookie season, but it wasn't probably the, the rookie season at the end of the day, statistically, that he was hoping for. He was another guy I talked to on that final open locker room day, and he he all but admitted that uh, from a physical standpoint, he wore down a little bit as, yeah. as the season went along. And that's not unusual for rookies, and I know everybody might be saying, well, he's just the punter. Well, 
you know, there is something to be said for monitoring the reps and, and you know, and pacing yourself um, with that skill throughout all what, what essentially is 20 games because he's the, the preseason games are no uh, picnic for a rookie trying to, you know, make his way in yeah. the NFL and get used to the bright lights and all of that kind of stuff. So J.K. Scott had to go through all that, and by the time he got to the end of the 20 games, he was physically a little bit worn down, and, and the results at the end of the season were not what we saw back in September, no. and it wasn't just because of the weather. The weather certainly is a yeah. factor. But the J.K. Scott that we were seeing in September and October, there was a little bit of a fade there. And, I, and he knows from a physical conditioning standpoint, it's on him to maintain his body at a certain level throughout the season. But I'm also curious to see with, uh, with some of the changes in the coaching staff and whatnot and with J.K. Scott's maturity, if he becomes the, the punter that the Packers are certainly counting on when they spend a fifth-round draft pick on a him. question was asked to me in inbox at the end of last week uh, looking at the kicker position with Mason Crosby and at what point in, if they end up having to replace him. And I also made the point that Mason Crosby's 34. You have Adam Venteri running around here at 46 and still kicking. but <laughs> And just signed another contract, too, yes, if I'm not exactly. mistaken. <laughs> but, but when you make a move, when you bring in someone new at a skill position, or I should say a specialist position, right. do you look veteran, do you look free agency, or do you go to the draft? I think the Packers made the right move in going towards J.K. Scott using a draft pick to try solidifying a position that has been sort of an upheaval here the last four or five years. Yeah. But the thing you have to understand with that investment is you're dealing with a 21-year-old man that had to go through the combine process, had to go through the pre pro day process, had to get himself positioned to be a fifth-round draft pick, and then, oh, by the way, a week after you get to Green Bay, Justin Vogel's gone. You're the guy taking all the reps the rest of the season. It's not an excuse. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to improve. But I just think with an offseason program kind of focused on that, the strength side of things, a big frame to work off of. We saw the leg, Mike, the leg talents there. All yeah, training absolutely. camp long, how there's, much were we tweeting about that? There's you just no have to do it in games it. now. Right, yeah, there's no question about it. And it's about consistency across all the special teams with right. regards to cutting down on the penalties, we talked about the return game and what what some consistency could do there in terms of field position and and yeah when you get right down to it if you look at the unit the special teams as a whole it was really the penalties that impacted the Packers in the field position game on both sides yes. both uh, offensively and defensively and to throw one more thing out there as far as just what to look for I think this offseason training camp I'm really f curious what Meninga's philosophy is going to be with punting the Packers for the last three years really focused on a lot of directional punting. Yes. Tim Maste had issues with it. Jacob Shum was somewhat inconsistent with it. Just, Justin Vogel was pretty shaky with it. J.K. Scott has the type of accuracy to be able to do that. I'm curious, though, if that is using him to the best of his ability. I'll be very interested to see, and maybe that's just the way things are right now, but if you look at like Michael Dixon and how some of these other guys are doing it, that hasn't always been the emphasis. So yeah. I'm very curious to watch that aspect of it. Yeah, and, and we'll probably get a sense of that once we get to, say, the training camp and the preseason games. Totally. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But with that, we will sign off, call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted, and we will next see you from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some unscripted shows from the convention center yep. in uh, in indy we'll be there for a handful of days and uh, talking 
everything and anything about prospects, and we're going to get a chance to get press conferences with Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, all sorts of news going on in Indy. Who needs to be in the Bahamas, Mike, when you can be in Indianapolis (laughs) at the end of February? That's what I want to know. All right, there we go. But that's when we will see you next. In the meantime, you can follow him on Twitter, at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we will see you next time.